Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. All right. Let's see. Okay. Um, Shoot. I meant to have somebody uh, read this passage. You want to read, babe? Well, we don't have the microphone up here. I'll read. Sorry. All right. This is a busy Sunday. Uh, Let me read a passage for this morning. It is from the book of Colossians. We're going to continue on uh, in our study through the book of Colossians. This is a great hymn that uh, is in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15 and going through 20. Uh, We'll have it on the screen behind us as well. He, Jesus, this is the king of the kingdom. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Um, so, there's a lot going on today. Uh, this, is, um, I, th- this will be my last sermon for a little while. Um, I'll be going on sabbatical this summer. Uh, a lot of people have asked what we're doing. We're, we've got a couple of trips planned. We're hanging out and doing some projects at home. I was going to build a deck in our backyard, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, and, uh, but just kind of taking a rest mentally and, uh, and emotionally. Um, and then uh, today is also Ascension Sunday. This is the fifth. Uh, this is the last Sunday of Easter, uh, of Easter Tide, where we celebrate the Ascension of Jesus. We have 40 days of Lent, uh, but praise God, we have 50 days of Easter and celebrating the Resurrection. And as we talked about before, today is Mother's Day, uh, and we want to celebrate and honor uh, motherhood and remembering our mothers. Uh, and I know that that can be good, and that can also be hard at times. It can, be, um, it, it, it can be a complicated day of emotion, complex, nuanced, uh, but we do want to acknowledge and recognize just how difficult it can be, especially in our day, uh, to be uh, a mom uh, or, and, and uh, all of the complications that go with that. Uh, and some of those expectations can often go uncelebrated or, or uh, unrecognized. And so, again, uh, we want to give you chocolate <laughs> uh, and, and pray that that can ease the pain in some senses and, and also encourage and support uh, guilt-free, healthy, blessed chocolate. We're just going to ask God's blessing over it um, and ask him to make it good. Uh, so that will be handed out at the end of the, sermon, end of the service today. So with all this going on today, we're just going to focus really on one verse, actually one and a half verses uh, this morning, but it is a hugely important verse. 
this hymn here at the beginning of Colossians, uh, really the rest of Colossians is kind of built on it. The rest of Colossians expounds on this, uh, these five verses, these six verses here. And so today we're going to look at just this one right in the middle, this transition statement. In verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So as we look at Colossians over the summer, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be the people of God? What distinguishes the people of God? What are the characteristics of the people of God? What are we to do and who are we to be? And as Paul is going down this, he basically initially says you are to be a kingdom people. And then in verses 15 through 20, he says this is who the king of that kingdom is. And so this week, we just have a verse and a half. It's a transition statement. And what we see in this is that this king does a pretty good job of holding the world together and of holding his bride and defending his bride and holding her together as a kingdom people. This verse starts off, he is before all things. We talked about that a little bit last week. He is preexistent. He has always been. Jesus is not created. He is the creator. Uh, he has always been. And in him, all things hold together. It is Jesus that holds to wor- the, the world together. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time talking about the attribute of God known as his providence. Now I want to make a distinction between God's providence and God's sovereignty and the way we use that, those words. Because we might say, well, aren't they the same thing? And yes, they are, they are very, very similar. I would say that providence is part of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is the fact that God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. God is, by definition, God. He is, by definition, in charge. But providence is kind of what God pleases to do. It gives us a definition. It gives us how he uses his power. And what he pleases to do is good and is wise, and it is his care, and it is provision through his people, uh, for his people, and through his people, for all people, for all creation, that Jesus holds all things together. And you may have heard this before at some point in time, Romans 8, 28, that God works together all things for good, uh, to, uh, for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. There were a number of problems going on in Colossae that were being taught, and we don't have a specific definition of what false teaching was being taught, but Paul is writing to this church in Colossae to address some of the the false teachings that were going on. There was likely a mixture of kind of a weird dynamic between uh, Jewish legalism and, and mysticism that was more than likely happening, and Paul was kind of making known that Jesus is fully God. He is not one of the gods. He's also not... Um, uh, but you also have some Greek philosophy in the mix, and the Greek philosophy was trying to find this ancient wisdom to tap into that you could kind of manipulate and make things work. Greco-Roman philosophy taught uh, this idea of logic or logos. And what this was, this was kind of the secret wisdom that held the world together. Um, it was impersonal. It was fatalistic. It is the full reality of the statement, it is what it is, <laughs> is, is this impersonal force logic that holds the world together. 
And Greeks believed that there was, that, that, that that is, you could tap into it, and if you gain knowledge of how the world works, you can manipulate it, you could get ahead, this is the secret to a happy life and to all of that stuff. Um, and so you could tap into this secret wisdom, but it, it didn't care, it didn't take sides, it didn't advocate, it didn't interact, it didn't have life at all. It was simply impersonal logic. It was just the way things are. And so what Paul is telling his church, these new followers of Jesus, is that what holds the word together, the world together, in fact what John calls logos, is not impersonal, it's not indifferent, it's not a lifeless force, it's actually the light of men. It is life. It is Jesus himself. And that Jesus is not only God, but he is the way the world was designed, and he is what holds the world together. He is the secret wisdom. And what we see in Jesus holding the world together, this is the, this is the providence of God. It is his care and his guidance for all the world and for his people. Now, um, if you were a 1980s uh, Michael W. Smith fan, John, this is for you. I know, your, head, your face just lit up. Um, this is 88. Keep quiet. I wrote the sermon. I did the research. Eye to eye. 88, right. All right. So... Uh, um, yeah, uh, this is probably, if you're a Michael W. Smith fan, this is probably one of his most theologically rich uh, and, and lyrically, uh, I, I think, lyrically profound songs, Providence. Um, it, providence, Providence, see it laying down the cornerstone. The hand of Providence, oh, it's evidence that we could never make it on our own. Apportioning the power, weighing all that it entails, the giving of the fulcrum and the balance to the scales. Well, the hang yang yand of providence <laughs> is guiding us through choices that we make. Well, the hand of providence is reaching out to help us on our way. Hey, hey, hey. And then there's this little meow, if you ever heard. All right. And it's been stuck in my head all week. And now you're welcome. It'll be stuck in your head all week. The first time we see the idea of God's providence used, God's provision used, uh, is, is in the very first book of the Bible in, in his interaction with Abraham. When God calls Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, and Abraham can't believe it, but he's going to do it. He's faithful. We give context to that. If you're just hearing that for the first time, you'd be like, whoa, what? There, there is a context to this. But what happens in Genesis uh, 21 um, Maybe 22. Um, 22, 13 and 14. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed, sacrificed the ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so, God, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. So this morning what I want to do is quite simply just sit under the implications 
and thoughts that Jesus, who is the king of his kingdom people, who we are called to bear his image and witness in the world around us, what does it mean that he is the one that holds all things together? What does it mean to sit under his providence? One of the things that we see, so three points, God's providence is a comfort, it is a call to action, and it is a call to trust. So God's providence is a comfort. To know that God is in charge and to know that God is good and to know that God will provide, that can be a huge comfort to our souls. To know that Jesus is the one that holds all things together. Now, what has to accompany this? And if you know me, I, I have to fill in blanks. It's a compulsion in me. What must accompany that is the acknowledgement that God is not simply a good luck charm. He is not simply something that you plug into and you can manipulate to your own benefit. He does not just give us what we want and in the ways that we want it. He's not health and wealth that might tempt us to look away from him. In fact, God will not give us what tempts us to look away from him, what tempts us toward independence and not whole dependence on him. Uh, he is not something, this is, his providence is not something that you earn or lose. It is simply his good grace and his good pleasure to provide and care for his people and for the whole, earth, or the whole world. Um, and it's that we see our deep need for him and what this produces in us, to see our deep need for him and always grow in trusting that he is good and that he will provide on days that we get it and on days where that seems far away. My uh, pastor in Texas always used to say that uh, God is your heavenly father. He is not your heavenly grandfather. Uh, and I always love that, right? Because a grandpa or, 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 you know, grandparents, one of their duties is, can be uh, to, to spoil your children and to, to, you know, spoil them rotten and then send them home. I have pictures of my children standing in line like little birds with their mouth open before they leave Nina and Papa's house with my mom giving each of them little whipped cream shots in their mouth uh, before, they, before sending them home. Um, we will not talk about the fact that I was also in line, uh, but um, this is something that grandparents can, uh, can do. But that's not the role of a parent. A parent, uh, one of the best just summaries of, of, a, of the role of a parent is to, to convey somewhere in between two, two parameters for your child. You are deeply loved and know you can't have whatever you want. And you fall between those. And that is the role of a parent, to teach the proper both love and awe and fear of the Lord. God's providence is not a tool, it's not a good luck charm, it's not a blank check. God's providence is a comfort to the humble and those who wait for the Lord. And when we are humble and we wait for the Lord, God's providence can produce in us a deep and enduring gratitude. Um, my temptation is always to get through one struggle or one problem or one issue and then simply move on to the next one, right? I don't know if anybody else struggles with that, that is my, that's my temptation. Um, and, uh, 
And I have a tendency to go toward worst case scenario and then, and then pleasantly work back from there. <laughs> uh, hey, this is the worst that could happen. And, and then resurrection, that's the worst that could happen. Um, but one thing that I fail to do in that often is to celebrate and, and trust God's provision, God's providence. And his sustaining mercy. And so one of the things that I've, I've as I go on this um, sabbatical, one of the things that I'm planning to work on and been asked to work on, not, this is from a, a friend of mine, is to, to deal with whatever underlying issues that are there uh, that produce that outlook and, and to war against cynicism and to war against those things by leaning into and celebrating all the ways that God has provided and all the ways that God has sustained. Uh, and I would encourage you to do the same at some point in time. Some of you may, may naturally err toward that, to being grateful people. Um, but if you're like me and you don't, take some time and take a lot of time and think of all the ways that God has provided or that he has sustained. Think about the bad things that have not happened, the tragedies that have not taken place every day. Certainly you'll see some things that are big and huge and miraculous that you can praise God for, but there's also daily provisions that God gives that sometimes we're tempted to take for granted. A daily practice of being grateful to God for his provision. Look back on times when you didn't see a way out uh, or a way forward that God provided. This is the, you know, looking at the sand and seeing one set of footprints in the sand and rejoicing in those times that Jesus carried you or rejoicing in the times when you see the big indentation in the sand where God had to drag our uh, sorry behinds. Abraham names the place the Lord provided. Throughout Hebrew scripture, what you see over and over again is this command of God, change the name of this place, name your children, um, set up an altar here and remember what the Lord has done. A great daily prayer practice, the prayer of examine, is a phenomenal way to simply look at your day ahead and the day behind and say, God, where was your presence? Where did I see and acknowledge your presence here that can produce, in, that I can see your provision, I can see your grace, and that I can uh, be grateful and see the ways that you provide day after day. One lady tells a story about she lived in London and she would drive and she would find a parking spot and she said every time she would pray for a part or she would pray for simple things like a parking spot and when her son asked why do you pray for a parking spot he, she said how else are you going to find one <laughs> Several years ago um, I don't know if you guys remember when the, they had all the remote helicopters in the malls I don't know if you guys remember malls um, and they would, every time you would walk through the mall, that somebody would be flying the remote helicopter up. And they weren't, they, you know, they were 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever. And so um, we got my son, this was several years ago, we got him a remote helicopter for Christmas. All he talked about, all he wanted. And it was nice enough that day that you, we could actually go outside uh, and try to fly it, but it was very windy. And that remote helicopter was in the air for maybe three seconds before the wind took it, smashed it into the side of the house, and it fell down into a, a bushes and a big pile of leaves that had yet to be raked up. And, um, and so we found it, but the, this little black piece on the end, the, the tail wing that actually steers it. So that's a whole nother sermon of the little small piece that actually steers and guides everything. Uh, but it had been knocked off and broken off. And I was like, are you kidding me? 
So my wife, God bless her, the first thing she does is she says, Cooper, let's pray and ask God to help find us, to help us find this. Now, this is where my cynicism kicks in and my eyes rolled back and I was like, honey, you're setting this kid up for disappointment. Um, and so we prayed. I was like, all right, I'll bite. I'm going to play the game. We prayed. I stepped into that bushes, and I'm not kidding you, the first thing I saw set on top of a leaf, almost being presented to me, was this small, black, skinny piece that goes onto the back of the helicopter. And she said, Cooper, God didn't do that because he cared about your helicopter. God did that because he cares about you. How often do we miss simple but overwhelming things every day that God provides? His care and his provision. When we fail to stop and ask or stop and see or just receive or if we just go on from one problem to the next. To cultivate this is to constantly look for God's provision in the big and the small ways. And when we do that, it begins to produce in us a heart of gratitude. So take some time and see God's provision. Make a practice reflecting on and recalling the big and the small events of the day in which God provides a safe ride home. God's providence is a comfort. Second, God's providence is a call to action. <clears throat> Jesus not only holds all things together, but he is also the head of the body of the church. And so the church is to reflect uh, the person of Jesus. He is our hope and he is who we are to be conformed to and to image. Um, and so it's always important to remember the purposes of why God established a people in the first place. And here again, we go back to the book of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis 12, God would form and fashion a people to put on display his grace and mercy and his goodness and his character to the world around us. And he says to Abraham, I will bless you, and you will, in turn, be a blessing. And then as God forms his people, he puts them smack dab in the middle of all of the known world, that they would to be a blessing to all nations. God's providence and provision is not simply for us to sit on our blessed assurance and not care and show compassion to the world around us. It is a gift from which we labor and serve and care for the world. We don't labor as if God has not provided for us. We labor uh, in the full confidence that God has always and will provide for his people and sustain his people. We don't labor out of fear. We labor out of, a, out of abundance that God provides and, and from his people provides uh, for the world around us. One of my favorite psalms, I spent like two months in this psalm last year, uh, Psalm 37. And it's David writing when he's a little bit older and one of his reflections in verses 25 and 26, he says, I've been young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his people become a blessing. His children become a blessing. That the provision of the Lord is not simply to be presumed or to be consumed. It is to be 
it is to be given generously and joyfully. As our God gives generously and joyfully. That God's people would be a blessing. Now, let it, known, let it be known that God's providence for the whole world uh, includes the blessing of his people, but it also includes the discipline of his people when his people are not being faithful to being the people of God. That's all over Scripture. Um, he is patient. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But we see over and over again that God's purpose for his people are to be, as God is present with his people, that we are to be the presence of God to the world around us, the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, there has become, and I, and I don't know if this is globally, but I know in the American church there's a weird thing of um, where we have this willingness to go to the ends of the earth uh, and yet have a struggle with loving the neighbor who is next to us or who is a zip code over from us or who lives above a certain line or below a certain line. Um, and we are called to bear witness to the person and work of Jesus, to the love and providence of Jesus in all places. Um, so, does this make sense? God uses his people to be his providential care in the world around us. Now, I have a lot of issues with the Western church that I'm going to, I'm going to, park over here. Uh, there's a, there's, we, we bear the name of Jesus, um, and we have some, some baffling ways that we are being defensive, that we're not listening well, that we're not modeling grace and repentance, uh, but more self-defense and self-preservation. Um, but the church globally, and even still the church in uh, America, continues to be a blessing in so many ways. When God provides for his people in his providence, when this is stewarded generously and joyfully by and through his people for all people, the city rejoices. Here's some examples. And this is the tip of the iceberg. I have a friend, Andre Alexander. He's the pastor of the Tabernacle Church in North St. Louis. A few years ago, he began the Tabernacle Community Development Corporation as part of the church and backed by several churches where the church is partnering uh, to help families in blighted homes and in blighted neighborhoods. Uh, not gentrification, but actually helping them secure improvement loans, helping them with work and job opportunities uh, to build up home equity, to rehab some of these homes for families to live and thrive in. And it's a beautiful thing. And he's doing it in his own neighborhood. Love the Lou. Lucas Rugley and his family moved here from Portland, uh, I think, about 10 years ago. And they wanted to become people of peace in their neighborhood. And they moved into a sketchy part of Vandeventer. And over the last 10 years, they have, they basically first got there and just started listening, started welcoming people into their home, started feeding people meals in the name of Jesus. They've begun to help develop young men and women talking over and over and over again uh, with young men especially to convince them that they are worthwhile, that they are image bearers of God, that their lives are worthwhile, to stay in school, to be educated, to stick with a job when there's easy way outs, that they are imago Dei, that they bear the image of God. Um, 
to stay in school systems that are, in, that are really struggling to help them find jobs and keep jobs, even though they have really hard transportation issues and no opportunities nearby. He told the story of one young man who had to walk several blocks to get to a bus to transfer to two other buses, and basically it was a 45-minute trip for him to get to the nearest fast food restaurant where he could work and keep a job. And after 10 years, being people of peace, gang involvement is down, murder rates are down, some local entrepreneurs, some young men and women in the neighborhood have started to grow roots and start businesses with help from the church and from followers of Jesus on the outside to teach business practices and accounting and entrepreneurship and all of that, which also in turn begins to provide jobs for people around and they are hearing more and more about Jesus and seeing his providential care in his life and in their neighborhoods through the people of God. The work in St. Charles. We love St. Charles. Uh, works a lot with all of the St. Charles School District, but especially with Jefferson. They do a lot to prize and value teachers uh, and to mentor students. Neighbor Helping Neighbor uh, is put on by Calvary Church. Worked among a ton of churches when the pandemic hit and everything shut down to help provide meals for families that might not have regular meals and who count on the school districts to provide meals for their children. And We Love St. Charles made and supported and delivered a ton of meals for St. Charles, Francis Howell, and Fort Zumwalt school districts. The Women at Refuge. Man, Julie and Leanne and Allie and Susan and Joy and Sally and Grace and Alyssa who work with benevolence needs, families in needs, the Christmas store, work with Frontier Health and Youth in Need, helping meals with Neighbor Helping Neighbor that help get us organized and, and carry that out, um, providing meals for families with babies, family with illnesses, you name it. I know we have several women that work and volunteer with Meals, for, meals on Wheels that provides connection and sustenance for people who are homebound. All these small little things that the church does that is God's providential care through his people providing. There have been studies done over and over and over again. Um, churches are tax exempt. I don't know if you knew that. Churches are, are tax exempt. To, to free us from the government uh, and to, to free us to speak up to the government, I think, when necessary. Uh, there was, there's been several arguments about churches needing to start paying taxes. Some of those arguments are pretty compelling. One that, that is not is the economic impact that churches have in the areas around them. Um, a small church about our size invests about $140,000 a year into poverty alleviation into communities. Economic impacts can be upwards of $4 million from even a small church, events, funerals, you name it, where churches are, where people go out for lunch after church. Um, larger churches are said to increase home values, crime rates going down. Uh, churches add at least easily $100,000 or more worth of community service and volunteer hours. There are tangible effects for the city in areas where God's people are present. And this is God's providence and care and provision. And yes, right now that's taken for granted, it's overlooked. Our bickering, bickering and quarreling about some dumb things and our fighting for dumb things, uh, which again, God's people have been doing for a long time. 
Um, there are some things that are regrettable, uh, for sure, and some immense blind spots. Uh, but with all my issue, issues with Westernism, the church itself is even primarily responsible for the collective conscience that America has right now for the poor and the outsider and, the, and, and those who are forgotten. That is not something that took place in ancient days. And so as the daily, way, daily ways of making God's providence tangible for the people around us, man, church, keep doing it. Keep being faithful. It's beautiful. And these stories are the tip of the iceberg. The daily practices of charity and mercy and faith and compassion and justice. The providence of God is a call to action, not to be consumed, but to steward generously. And finally, the providence of God is a call to rest. Uh, to rest biblically is not simply to entertain or distract or veg out. To rest biblically is, is actually an active trust. It is a deep call of faith that Jesus holds the world together and not you. Or me that we can't save anyone, that we can't change anyone, that we can't preserve or save the world. And this is the most glorious and frustrating freedom that comes from knowing that Jesus is the one that holds, things, holds the world together, and we do not. Yes, we are called to action. Yes, we are compelled and called to do what we can, but we are also called to trust. There are two ways that the world can become about you or become about me. One is arrogance and pride of, I am the center of all things. But the other is fear and worry. Who is going to do this if I don't? Who is going to hold the world together if I don't hold the world together? What's going to happen to my kids if I don't shape and form every single possible thing that they do? How will everyone in the world know what is wrong with them if we do not tell them How will all of these problems in the world get solved if I don't solve them? One of my favorite tweets of all time. I'm off social media for the summer, so this is one of my favorite tweets of all time. Everyone suffering from, uh, every, uh, I gotta get, the, get it right, hang on. Um, everyone suffering from diseases or natural disasters, hang in there. We're liking posts as fast as we can. Worry is a way of controlling things in the world that we can't control. Worry begins to make the world about us. I might not be able to do anything about it, but I can worry about it. The providence of God reminds us that Jesus is the one that holds the world together and not me. So we can rest and we can trust and we can pray. This is active. Um, the last year has been difficult because we've been, we've, everything has looked different. Work has looked different. For me, physically, work has been easy, but emotionally and spiritually and, and mentally, it's been exhausting. My good friend Elliot, as I'm getting ready to go on this sabbatical, my good friend Elliot told me, he's kind of my pastor sage 
person. And he said, during your sabbatical, you are going to have to trust that God can actually handle some of the events going on in the world. Um, and that stung a little bit, but it also sounded like a really good idea. I've seen, I'm sure you have too, some discouraging remarks about prayer, right? Anything bad happens. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Almost a way of like getting out of Dodge and not actually having to do anything. Um, sometimes people will say if somebody gets hurt, okay, you, you pray, I'll call the ambulance. Uh, Quakers uh, actually would never disseminate between the two. Quakers would, would pray for a good harvest while they plowed the field. Uh, they would not break those two things apart. And you can pray while calling the ambulance. But especially in a day where thoughts and prayers seem so trite, um, church, listen to me. Jesus is the one that holds the world together, and we do believe, we do believe that God is active in the world around us, that God does things that we cannot do, that prayer is actually an active way of warring against the things of this earth. And rest is a way of us going, okay, God has to be God, and I can't. We're not the heroes. We labor well, but we can't save the world. I can't change one mind or redeem a single heart. And oftentimes, the harder we try, the worse it gets. So, finish with a couple of stories here. And then, my last assignment for a while. St. Monica. Anybody know who St. Monica is? She is the patron saint of others. She had a son that made it relatively big. His name was uh, Augustine, unless you went to seminary, and then it was Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo. Her husband, Patricius, was not necessarily a very religious man, but he agreed to let her raise the children however she wanted, and so she wanted to raise, uh, this is in the late 300s, and she wanted to raise them Christian, but Augustine did not necessarily want to be that. He enjoyed the nightlife, and he enjoyed getting out and doing things, and apparently one day when he was going to leave for Rome, uh, she went to one of the priests to try to beg him to convince her son to come back to Christianity, to come back to Jesus. And the priest sent her word. He did not see her, but he did send her word that said this, Go away now, but hold on to this. It is inconceivable that he should perish. A son of tears like yours. Augustine, after 17 years, Monica was known to pray fervently both for her son and her husband. After 17 years, uh, Patricius, after, most likely after more than 30 years, would eventually both convert and trust Jesus, and Augustine would become one of the most influential thinkers and contributors to the Christian faith. There's a story about a Jesuit ethicist from, he's actually from St. Louis uh, University. His name was John Cavanaugh. He went to work with Mother Teresa for several months trying to figure out the end of, like, what should he be spending his time on and what should he do for the rest of his life? And so he went to work there for several months and one day Mother Teresa came up to him and said, what can I pray for you for? And he gave it some thought, and he said, would you pray for me for clarity? And she replied to him, she said, oh, no, I will not pray for clarity. Clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. And then she kind of walked off, and I have this thought of this little woman, you know, <laughs> kind of walking off, and he came back to her and said, 
but, but your life just seems filled with clarity. And she said, I don't have clarity. I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray for you that you will trust God. Tim Keller's quote in his book on prayer, prayer gives us a relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. It is to believe in and rely on as guided by God's revelation of himself through his word. This is not just absent. It's not the eight ball, magic eight ball prayer. It is through his word that he makes himself known to believe that Jesus is the one that holds all things together. Including his bride, the church. God's providence is comforting. It is a call to action. And it is a call simultaneously to rest and trust. Here's my last assignment for a while. Uh, that list of 10 or so people that I know you guys all have, right? Make a list, that this was a, from a couple weeks ago, to make a list of 10 or so people that you will encourage over the summer. You'd be actively encouraging them. And what I want you to do now is, the hope is that that, if you have this list of 10 people, that you're not just passing by and encouraging, but you're actually watching them and seeing them, not in a weird stalker way, but in an observant way, what are their needs? What do they need to hear from God? What comfort do they need from God's people? Where do they need to be uplifted and encouraged? And as you do that, I want to add to that assignment that you would commit to pray fervently for them. The letters of Paul are filled with prayers for his friends and prayers for the church. Um, but not once does Paul ever ask God to change people's circumstances. What, God does, what Paul does often is asks God to be the fulfillment and the fixation of their eyes and their hearts and their minds. And so of this 10 people that you are committing to, to encourage, would you also commit to pray for them and for me that we would, and for yourself, that we would trust that it is Jesus who holds the world together. He is the comfort to our souls. He is the call to action. And he is, he is the one in whom ultimately we rest and trust. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you hold your church together. We can combat with grace and care teachings that will pull us away from that. But you have always had your bride. You have always had your church. You have seen her through the darkest days. And you will one day present her glorious. And so we're not as big as we think we are. May that humble us. May that comfort us. Comfort us. And may that free us to spend and steward lavishly and graciously on the world around us. I pray that you would make yourself known in our hearts, hearts of friends that might be bitter or angry, uh, that may have never experienced personally your love and care, may never have acknowledged the one who has guided their days, who has kept them alive, who made their breathing apparatus in their body involuntary, so it was one thing they never had to worry about. 
And even in the ways you designed us to be, you gave us your good providence and care. May you make yourself known on a personal level to them and continue to do that to us and through us. May the name of Jesus be glorious and great. May our stories be saturated and filled with, his, with your goodness and mercy. We ask this in your name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.